Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. We'll be exploring today telepathy and personal relationships. With me is Dr. Bruce Solheim, who is a professor of history at Citrus College in Glendora, California, where he teaches continuing education courses on personal paranormal history. He is the author of five books on political science and history, as well as one novel and three plays, and in addition to that, two books about his own personal paranormal history called Timeless and Timeless Deja Vu, with a third book expected next year. Welcome, Bruce. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. The issue of telepathy and personal relationships has been explored uh, a lot, but you write about it in, in terms of your own very intimate experiences, and in particular, uh, the experience, which I'm sure almost everybody has gone through at one point or another in their lives, of being involved in a relationship with a partner who is cheating. Yes. And what I've found to be true, and this has happened in, in different relationships, bad relationships I've had, is that uh, I have this sense that something is going wrong, that something is going very wrong. Now, there's no other way I could know, you know, like maybe there weren't any other clues, but all of a sudden I start shaking, physically shaking, teeth shattering, you know, chattering like I'm uh, freezing. Mm. And uh, I just know that something very bad is going on, that, that uh, I feel that connection to this person that I love or care about is doing something that is is not good. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like your body is telling me. My body you. is telling me. I'm listening. My body is telling me there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, now, there might be other more subliminal clues and other things as well, but my body has that reaction. Sure. Yeah, it's certainly in daily life, we can't rule out normal modes of mm -hmm. uh, information transfer besides telepathy. Right, right. Yeah. So it's, but it's a very powerful feeling and it's happened a few times in, in, in my life. And, uh, it's, it's very disturbing. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's helpful in a sense that you, you, so I think telepathy and, and understanding what's going on is very helpful. But in another sense, it's like maybe I don't want to know. Mm -hmm. So yeah, sometimes, you know, ignorance is bliss, as they say, but I, I'm not sure. But uh, in this case, it is a very powerful feeling. It's, you can't get rid of it and you have to pursue it. You can't just let it go and say, mm -hmm. okay, I, that's, I don't mm -hmm. trust my feelings, in this case, the physical manifestation. So you have to pursue it. That then leads to major arguments and breakups and divorces and other things. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so you do describe in... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, your books mm -hmm. having, uh, prior to your present marriage, having had a number of troubled relationships. Yes. And, and a lot of it, uh, you know, in looking back, it wasn't just the other person, you know, it's, uh, I had problems too, working through many problems. Some of them related to childhood, uh, childhood trauma mm -hmm. and so forth. And also trauma in the military. When I was in the military, I had some very terrible experiences. I worked in a, a prison, very high stress job in a military prison. And, uh, like for w one time, I remember, uh, 
Well, and to work in a prison, just in whether it's a military prison or a civilian prison, you have to, as I envision it, have a bubble. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're a person like myself who's very sensitive, intuitive, have that aperture open, you know, when, when I don't even know it, I have to actually imagine and manifest a bubble over myself. So when I go into work in the prison, I can't be hurt, mm-hmm. uh, either physically hurt or psychically or in any other way, because prisons assault your senses in every possible way, every sense that you have. Yeah. Now, I worked in a prison myself. So we have, so. The, yeah, we, we have that shared experience. So yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Yes. The, the sounds, the smells, the, you know, the psychic elements, you know, the vision of everything. So one particular incident I remember uh, was pretty terrible. Uh, we were, I was in A Block, and this is in Mannheim, West Germany, military prison. Uh, it was an NCO cell, so there were, they were all sergeants, and I was only a private. And uh, I came by the cell. It, they had what we called a gang cell, and they had a shared bathroom. Uh, two of the uh, these prisoners were in there, and they were having relation a relationship, a sexual relationship in mm-hmm. of some sort. And I I just knew I saw enough of it to know. And so I called them out on. I and they you know kind of scurried away. And then I told them both, I'm going to I'm going to write you guys up for this. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them uh, then uh, threatened to rape and kill me because uh, he was very upset with me. I was a private. He was a sergeant. How dare you? you yeah. know, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Yeah. So I, I remember uh, I, I had to sit through a correctional supervision board. He got an extra month added to his sentence, which even one day is enough to drive a prisoner crazy. You know, the idea of one more day in lockup. And uh, the, the rumors going around after that was was that he was going to kill me. He was going to figure out a way to kill me. Not only kill me, but rape me, too. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had to continually work in that environment. I had to still do frisk searches of this guy. I had to deal with him. only way to deal with that is to just turn off all your emotions, put yourself in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Which can get you through the day, you're through your shift, but then you got to learn to... Take uh, take off that bubble, but then oftentimes you don't. So that doesn't help relationships. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's of course it's very pronounced in a prison, but I think yeah. just normal daily life causes yeah. people to want to uh, numb themselves, yes, to protect themselves just from the pain and suffering that exists in the normal world. Right, right. Yeah, and I I find myself, you know, the, the prison is the most pronounced uh, uh, experience. But uh, just in, in dealing with day-to-day with your partner mm-hmm. uh, or walking into a social situation, when you have a tendency to be very intuitive, you have to tune that out. You have to, as I say, kind of turn the radio off, let the radar dish go back in because you don't want to be picking up on all these uh, people's problems and things. I, uh, you know, It's nice if you can turn it on and off. Yes. Well, I've learned how to do that. How do you do that? Well, I, I actually, uh, sometimes I have to actually go to my, you know, off to the side a little bit and just mm-hmm. say, you know, I'd like to come down to a normal level of vibration. I don't want to be picking up on all this stuff. I appeal to my spirit guides. I do a prayer and that helps. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I physically imagining, uh, like turning off an old style radio, just turning the knob until mm-hmm. it's off. And then I get that feeling that I'm just relaxed mm-hmm. and then I can, pursue, you know, go back into the social situation and not be picking up on all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I have to do that to sleep at night, too, because it, there's a lot of intrusive, you know, thoughts, our own thoughts, but then intrusive thoughts from spirits and others and mm-hmm. people in the house, and you have to tune all that stuff out so you can sleep and relax. So, 
I think the prison experience was a, a heightened experience in that you really have to do this to survive. There's no way to survive as a guard in a prison unless you can do that. And but it also, you know, that numbing is not necessarily good for uh, for everyday life. You got to have some ability to. And I, I would think, too, as, as a prison guard, you, you want to have your intuition operating. You want to know yes. what's around the corner. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, physically, the manifestation of that t- today is that when I walk into a classroom, I don't just walk into a classroom. I open the door and I look to each side to make sure there's nobody there that's going to jump out at me. I, I freak out if I don't know where my keys are because in, in the old-style prisons, you had those old brass keys. Oh, yeah. And that's the first thing they teach you when you go to work in the prison is you do never, you never lose those keys because if you lose those keys, people are going to die. You're going to die. Other people are going to die. So they they pretty much hammer it into your head. So I, uh, I always have to know where my keys are. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, typical kind of PTSD type stuff. You go into a restaurant, you got to sit in a corner and there's nobody behind you, that type of stuff. So in, in other words, yeah. the prison guard experience traumatized you. It did. It did. And, uh, even if it was just day to day prison stuff, I mean, it's bad enough. But then when you have these extra traumatizing mm-hmm. experiences, like people trying to commit suicide. And, uh, I remember one time a, uh, a prisoner, I was taking over for these two sergeants who were going to go eat lunch. So I temporarily went in there and took over C block, segregation block. And there was a prisoner there on suicide watch. He, um, uh, every five minutes, you're supposed to go and sign a little, like they have a clipboard next to his cell. You're supposed to sign that you've checked skin every and movement. Every five Every minutes. five minutes. Every five minutes. He was on suicide watch. Uh, so... The, those sergeants apparently hadn't been doing that for a while because I heard this moaning sound. And I thought, that doesn't sound right. And then I heard this guy said, help me, help me, guard. I could just barely hear it faint. So I went out and checked the cell, and this guy had uh, slashed his, his wrist. Hmm. And he had been bleeding for quite a while because there was like a coagulated, wow. I didn't know blood you know, got into like a pile like that. So he was, uh, he was near death. And so I treated for shock, you know, wrapped a towel around there and, you know, did what you're supposed to do. Ran, I, I opened the cell door uh, to the, the cell house and I went out in the central control point and I yelled for help. I said, we got a medical emergency. And they came in there and got him out of there so that he lived. Uh, when the sergeants came back, uh, they didn't tell me, oh, good job. They knew they were in trouble because they hadn't been signing the log. Like they were supposed to, and uh, they told me why. Why'd you Why'd you rescue that guy? Why'd you save him? You just saved his life. And I said, Well, that's what we're, that's what I'm trained to do. You know, I just mm-hmm. went into action like I'm supposed to. And they said, Well, uh, he was he had murdered a child. He had raped and murdered a child, so he should have let him die. And so I wasn't rewarded. I wasn't mm-hmm. you know, common. You know, there was yeah. no commendations or anything. It was just. That's the brutality of, of a prison mm-hmm. experience. There was one guy, it was a master sergeant, Master Sergeant Perry, that did uh, acknowledge and say, you, you did exactly what you're supposed to do. We're not, we're not here to punish these people. We're here for custody and control, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So that helped me kind of guide through it. But it was a very traumatizing experience. So. Now, we described in our previous mm-hmm. interview how you grew up uh, with mediumistic abilities. Yes, yeah. Seeing spirits, mm-hmm. interacting with spirits yeah. since childhood. Mm-hmm. So here you are, a, a very sensitive mm-hmm. individual put into this harsh environment. Yeah. 
And it, what's funny is that even prisoners would tell me, and every once in a while, I, I listened a lot. I was a very good listener as a guard. Uh, some guards were really good at the more, dis, you know, the disciplinary stuff, very hardcore. I was a listener. So I, uh, I would listen to what they had to say. And oftentimes, not just once, but many times, uh, and also in the civilian prison too, the, uh, they would tell me, why are you a guard? You don't, you shouldn't really be a guard. And you know, they were right. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't really be a guard. And they said, hey, I'm glad you're here. And now you're a professor. <laughs> yeah, so I was in the wrong profession. But but then again, I learned so much working there. I, I wouldn't know about how corrections works and how how the, the legal system works and, mm-hmm. and what people are capable of doing. Yeah. And I picked up on certain things. Like uh, I noticed that all the people who were mass murderers, you know, that had killed more than one person or two people, they all had um, <clears throat> like demonic tattoos, every single one of them. Now, the others had demonic tattoos, too, so it's not like that's a guarantee. Yeah. But all the ones who did, mm-hmm. that were mass murderers, had demonic tattoos. And it, 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 it was, I, I remember noticing that, and, and there was a strange aura about these people. Yeah. And when I looked at them, when I did searches or talked to them, you know, strip searches that we had to do, which is as bad for the guard as it is for the prisoner, uh, when I looked at the, you know, in their eyes, there was no humanity in a lot of them, especially the ones who had killed many people. Mm. There was no spark of humanity. There was just, it was like a deep well and there was nothing there. And I, it was, that was frightening, but you can't show any fear at all. So you have to turn that off. Mm-hmm. Cause well, if you show fear, they're like predators, you know, they'll come right after you. I, so, I see. I know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Carl Jung described mm-hmm. a, uh, psychotherapy patient of his who mm-hmm. confessed that it was a woman, as I recall, mm-hmm. who had actually murdered one of her previous lovers mm-hmm. and gotten away with it, but confessed mm-hmm. to it in therapy. And he remarked as well, there was no soul. Yeah, it, it, it's, that's, that's a good way to describe soulless look in their eyes. And when I, I, I often tell my, my students about my prison experiences, and they love to hear about my so-called prison stories. And that's one that I tell them that's pretty chilling when mm-hmm. you... Because I'll look around the room and I'll say, I can, I can see all of you, the spark of life in you, the humanity in you. Mm-hmm. And I smile, they smile. And, and these people, I said, they can, they can be nice. They can shake your hand and say, you know, hello to you and wish mm-hmm. you well. And in the next second, they could kill you. And it doesn't make any difference to them at all. There's no change in how, how it impacts them at all. Now, you described a moment ago, you used the word aura. And I, mm-hmm. did you mean that figuratively or literally? Uh, I meant, I meant literally, yeah. You could, you could see there's a difference in how, how the person looks, the, you know, the, the feeling. I'm, I'm not like an, er, an aura reader or anything. I, that's not maybe one of my big abilities, but when somebody has that kind mm-hmm. of, uh, behavior or the way they are, they, they do have this, this negative feel about them and a negative look about them. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's not only in their eyes, it's around their, the, 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 their continents, how they are. Mm-hmm. Well, what you're describing is, uh, it sounds to me like you're saying you can actually, I'm going to call it intuit, you can Mm -hmm. intuit their soul. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very, uh, if I can describe it, I don't really describe it in terms of color. A lot of people describe auras and color. I describe it more in in like a, it's spiky. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's not smooth. Like texture. Yeah, it's more textural, to, it, mm-hmm. yeah, it, like, like, like a texture. So, like, when I look at you or, or regular people, you know, there's a smooth texture to you rather than the spikiness. I think prickly. Yeah, prickly, of. yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah. So, this is a subtle kind of very sensitivity. Subtle. It's very subtle, uh, yeah. Now, you... In your courses on personal paranormal history, mm-hmm. uh, undoubtedly your students are sharing many of their own experiences. Yeah. And w- what's interesting, we even have experiences in the classroom. Uh, we had this one temporary classroom because we got displaced by another class that took priority. It was an e- economics class or something. It wasn't continuing education, so we got bumped. And we got put in this temporary classroom. And as soon as we got in there, and it's probably because we had 25 very intuitive people, but we, you know, probably attract this stuff. But there was this odd noise uh, in a back, like a storage room that also had a bathroom. And what it was is this cabinet kept opening and closing. Mm. So uh, the guys that were sitting in the back said, you got to come check this out. And there's something going on there, some kind of poltergeist activity or something. So I went back there, and as soon as I walked in there, I had heard it. And as soon as I walked in there, it stopped. And then I walked away again. And then it started up again. <laughs> so they, they said, they, yeah, they said, please, could you do something? So I, I just said, okay, I'll go in there. And I'll, I just said a prayer, you know, and I said, you know, we're just going to be here temporarily. If it's upsetting to you, we can close the door or whatever. I just tried mm-hmm. to appeal to their reason if yeah. that works. And uh, we closed the door and we didn't have any more problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we also had some, whatever you call it, palacento or whatever. Somebody had some with them, that wood that... Uh, People use for purification. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's people use this stuff. So we had some of that and I left mm-hmm. it with the people in the back that were sitting next yeah. to that door and they, they said, Oh, that makes me feel better. But, but what you're pointing yeah. to, as I see it, is when people are dealing with these paranormal experiences mm-hmm. or ostensible mm-hmm. paranormal experiences for which they get no education or training mm-hmm. uh, from the educational system, uh, they are pretty much forced to draw upon folklore and whatever yes. religious training they have. Yeah. So if it's, you know, burn incense or light a candle right, or right. say a prayer, yeah. uh, it, it, people are drawing on folk traditions, basically, yes. to, to address these situations. Yeah. And it all, you know, that's all kind of... Uh, I forgot what Dean Radin said. He had a very good way of describing it, but it's all kind of... Uh, you know, on the on the surface, where it, the essence of it is still you. Mm-hmm. It's you. Mm-hmm. You have to do something as a person, and you have to use your powers that you have mm-hmm. to to deal with whatever this entity is. So all that other stuff can help you get into that mindset or into the zone. I often call it the zone, like a like a person in sports would mm-hmm. say. I compare it to that quite a bit when I'm in a uh, you know when I'm communicating with those that are passed on. It's kind of like uh, when a baseball player would explain, I'm hitting really well because I'm in the zone. And what's happening, I think, with them, I don't know if it's been proven or whatever, but uh, is they, they describe the ball being bigger. It just seems to be coming in slower. It's bigger. I can mm-hmm. see it. I have more time to react. I, I think that what that is is that they are in a different brainwave state. They're in a different, they're in a meditative state. They're, as my spirit friends have described it, they say, you are in a focused calmness. Mm-hmm. That's how they describe it. And I know, and I've listened to meditative tapes and, yeah. you know, others, you know, uh, mm-hmm. one guy, I read his book, uh, Shinzen Young. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, very helpful stuff, mm-hmm. but stuff that I kind of figured out, but, you know, 
they helped me understand it more. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I, I consider it the same thing. So really it comes down to that. Whatever other window dressing you might have, that's fine. If it helps you, good, use it. But really it has to be about you. Mm-hmm. Now, Your as we mentioned, you've had these mediumistic abilities mm-hmm. since childhood. Do you find that there's a difference, a different feeling or sensation when you're in contact with what appear to be spirit beings as opposed to kind of a telepathic connection or clairvoyant connection with another human being, living human With a living human being, yeah. Uh, Yeah, there is a difference. Um, When I get in contact with those that have passed on, uh, I've learned now to be very careful. First of all, I, I, I have my guardian angel, my spirit guides, you know, whatever you want to call them, Mm -hmm. to help me and and protect me. So I always feel like that I have this kind of ritual I go through before I uh, open up the aperture Mm -hmm. and and open up the radar dish. And uh, when I'm, uh, I'll I'll have a specific purpose that I'm going to have. You know, I'll call out the person's name. Uh, I'll say, I would like to speak to you. And I will hear them in my head. I will hear them. Sometimes I see them, but not always. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the connection is really good, kind of like phone connection. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's really good, sometimes not. And the really odd thing, and I think this happens to some people, is I see text. Mm-hmm. Like I'll, ans- I'll ask a question, and I'll see, usually in cursive, which is weird because I don't write in cursive. I write block letters, uh-huh. but yeah. it'll say yes. I'll mm-hmm. ask a question. It's usually in gold letters, uh-huh. which is very... I, I can't explain it. Now, I don't know now you're referring to those spirit entities. Spirit entities, yeah. Mm-hmm. With uh, living beings, there might, it's much more. I think it's more complicated, much more complex. Because you, and sometimes I doubt sometimes what I'm hearing yeah. or feeling. So it, it's because I think uh, the dead really don't have anything to hide anymore. Mm-hmm. Living people do. Mm-hmm. I think that's the difference. I see. So it's there's levels of complication and layers of uh, you know obfuscation and things that, that living people tend to have uh, just for their own survival that they, they do, with, whereas dead, the dead yeah. are free from that. Well, psychologists use the term uh, persona, mm-hmm. that is the, the mask that, we, yes, that exactly. we wear. We present a certain face yes. to the world, typically... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that we are honest, upright, friendly, helpful yeah. people. Good people. <laughs> whereas uh, inside, according yeah. to Freud, certainly mm-hmm. we have all these lustful, uh, aggressive yeah. urges, and we try to hide all of mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. things from the rest of the world. And yeah. Jung would go even further. He'd say inside we have deep spiritual wisdom. Uh, mm-hmm. We're hiding it from ourselves even. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I think that's, yeah, that's exactly what I what I feel. So... I think it's much easier to, I don't want to say it that way, it's much easier to talk to the dead, but in, in a way it is. Uh-huh. In a way it is. They're, they tend to be, uh, as far as I can tell, very honest, except for if you run into some troubled spirits, that mm-hmm. uh, which I use my protection to avoid that. They're kind of like, uh, the protection is kind of like a bouncer. You know, they won't allow the, the, the more negative entities in, mm-hmm. into my zone. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's been very helpful because when I first started uh, taking what I call meditative walks, because that's where I do my medium work is when I uh, uh, walk. walking, walking. Yeah, I tried to do it sitting and or, you know, in the lotus position, I couldn't do that. So I thought I'm a very active person. I like to walk a lot mm-hmm. anyway. So I go on a walk and I have a very special place that I go. And it's a very unique 
road, and it's a, just like a sidewalk on the on a straight road that goes up into the foothills, mm-hmm. and it's called Lone Hill, or not Lone Hill, it's called uh, Valley Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yeah, this ba- is in Glendora. In Glendora, yeah. Mm-hmm. So at the base of it is, and I don't think it's by circumstance or just happenstance, is a uh, Masonic temple. Mm-hmm. And at the top, it just goes into the mountains. It goes right up into the mountains. Now, when I first did that walk, I picked up on Native American stuff, and I thought, this is an old medicine road mm-hmm. because there's an old wash. There's a wash right there, and I figured, I think this has been used by medicine men. It's been used by Native Americans for probably thousands of years. So I, I found this place just by luck, I guess, or maybe I was drawn there. And that's where I do most of my meditative walks. I start at the base of that, and I walk to the top. It's about a three-quarters of a mile walk uphill Mm -hmm. and by the time i get to the top i'm ready to take a break Mm -hmm. so uh psychically and physically but so during (laughs) the walk what is happening uh well i start by opening up i i i borrow some star trek terminology i I say i'm i'm opening up all hailing frequencies to Mm -hmm. good and kind spirits with the protection of you know Uh protectors and i'd like to speak to uh my friend let's say I have a friend who's asked uh, to speak to a colleague. I'll say, I'd like to speak to so-and-so. And uh, and usually I'll say hello, and they'll say hello. And it just starts as easy as that, as if you and I are talking and we have a conversation. What's really interesting is I, I record all this on my phone. Mm-hmm. So I have my phone with me, and I go through the whole ritual, and then when I start communicating, I'll say, okay, hello, and, and then I'll say what they're saying. Recently, and this is the first time this has happened, this is only recently, Similar situation, a friend, uh, they had a friend pass away suddenly, a younger person, only 33 years old, tragically. And I didn't know much detail about it, but I knew this way too young. And uh, I was recording it, and as I was asking her questions, uh, I heard her voice in my head, right, as usual. But when I listened to the recording later, I didn't hear the voice in my head. What I heard were like the sound of crickets. Oh. I've never heard that before. And there were no crickets in this wash or in this, mm-hmm. on, there's no crickets around there at all. And it only happened when I asked her a question and she was responding. I remember because I'm listening, because mm-hmm. I transcribe everything I do, uh-huh. every session that I have. And as I'm listening to it, every time I asked a question like, how are you adjusting to your new experience? You know, I'll hear this, you know, the cricket sound oh. and then it'll go away. And then I'll ask another question, another cricket sound. So what I was hearing was her voice while I was actually on the walk, but what was recorded or cricket sounds. The, in, in other words, you thought you were uh, repeating what you had heard. Well, I would, I would, yeah, I would hear the cricket sound, and then I would repeat like I usually do what I heard. Oh, but the oh, cricket okay. sound so came you, right away. Uh-huh. It's like she's really fast. I see. Sometimes they answer questions before I ask them, so that's uh-huh. that's not uncommon. That it yeah. goes very fast. Yeah. That's why I have to record everything because once I'm done. And I've reached the top of the hill. Oftentimes, I when I bring myself back down, I can't remember everything that's happened. So you, this is a reading that you're doing yeah. for another person. Yeah, I do I, it. Yeah. I see. Sometimes I do it for myself. I just ask for mm-hmm. you know, guidance on certain things and information, and sometimes it's very helpful. Sometimes uh, very accurate. Sometimes uh-huh. maybe not, but, you know. So I'm variables. under the impression that basically to the extent that you are specializing, this is your specialty, is yes. contacting the departed. Yes. Yeah. That, that, that is, that's become my specialty. So, uh-huh. and if I go back to my childhood and I think of how comfortable I was in graveyards, it all seems to make sense. Yeah. <laughs> now, I would imagine that in your class on personal paranormal history, mm-hmm. a lot of the you know, students who show up are talking about, for example, their romance. 
romantic relationships. Yes. Yeah, they, they do. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes, and I have had people ask me, you know, is this, and I think that this is a, probably a common thing that psychics have, you know, is this the right person for me and that type of thing. And I think those kinds of, uh, I don't really, yeah, because that they're talking about a living person, it's yeah. harder to, to read it, you know. Mm, right. I'm better with the dead, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, but there are certain things that just kind of stick out. And, and they oftentimes, I think people answer their own questions, it seems like to me, whenever they ask things like that. So you, and there, that has come up. You know, mm-hmm. people will say, you know, I'm having difficulty in a relationship. And, uh, and there are lots of intuitives in the room. So everybody's offering different, you know, solutions or whatever. And I just listen. I just like to listen. And then if they come and approach me later, I'll say, I'll kind of pick up on what they've already said. And I said, you really pretty much said what the answer is, mm-hmm. but they don't hear it. You know, they, you have uh-huh. to remind them what they already said. And then what they themselves, what have they said. themselves yeah. have said, yeah. they need to hear themselves say it a few yeah. times. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I feel like maybe I need to take it slow or something. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to take it slow. <laughs> well, so. I am under the impression that lots of times <clears throat> when two people who are about to engage in mm-hmm. a romantic relationship mm-hmm. meet each other, lots of psychic stuff is happening. Yeah. Synchronicities, yeah. magic. It seems like mm-hmm. I'm desperate destined to mm-hmm. be with this person. Right, right. I think, and, and for, well, I'll put it this way. My ginger, my, my wife, she, I'm not going to say she's skeptical. I guess the word agnostic is better about all this. Now, mm-hmm. I, she's very supportive. Mm-hmm. She couldn't be more supportive. I'll come back and I say, yeah, I just connected with uh, my colleague's mother, you know, and this mm-hmm. is what she told me. And she said, oh, that's nice, but can you help me move, you know, this from here to there? And we, plant, and we got to do this. Take planting. out the garbage. Yeah, right. yeah, make this plant and, it, mm-hmm. you know, plant this plant for me. So she's very accepting, but she doesn't get caught up in it. Sure. And I'm thinking if I was in a relationship with, actually, my first wife was very psychic. And it was, sometimes it was, it was, it was a good thing, but many times it was not. I'm under the impression yeah. from your descriptions that you and your first wife in, engaged in a variety of psychic or ritual practices together. You both had yeah. something of an interest in ceremonial magic. Yeah, at, at, at the start of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think she kind of shied away from it, and then I kind of went into a, dor- a kind of a dormancy period mm-hmm. where I didn't really think about it that much. Although I do remember taking a uh, parapsychology class in 1979 in West Germany, and it was through the auspices of the University of Maryland, mm-hmm. and they'd bring teachers over from overseas to teach GIs. You know, oh. and it was a, it was an interesting class because we had a a, uh, <clears throat> a clinical psychologist and we had a doctor of divinity in the same class, and we had a believer and a skeptic. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the dichotomy of that that class. And I'm trying to remember the the doctor of divinity. I think his name was uh, Mooney, Doctor Raymond Mooney, or yeah. And I've tried to look him up since. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a very, there's a famous guy that by that name, but it's, yeah, it's not the same person. Or maybe Moody. Moody, yeah, right? Moody, Moody, yeah, this guy's name was, was Moody. Moody, yeah. okay. Yeah, and I haven't been able to find the, the guy, but he, uh, that was, that kind of got me thinking. And I read the, uh, uh, we used the book by, 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 uh, Gertrude Schmiedler, uh, the parapsychology book is our mm-hmm. textbook. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it got me thinking, uh, um, 
back into it, in a, in a, but in a, I guess serious is not the right word, but in a more academic way, mm-hmm. rather than just, okay, you know, magic wands or whatever, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and he was very, extremely intuitive, and at the time, I was in a, my first wife and I were very rocky relation, always very rock, mm-hmm. rocky relationship. Uh, but uh, uh, I remember I came in once, and I was late, and I just looked at him, and he said, I understand that you've, that you're having difficulties with your wife, and I, I said, I hadn't said anything to the man, uh-huh. but he was very intuitive and very psychic. So that's when I realized, hey, I, I think I I do that too. How can you do that? <laughs> What's going on here? So there was uh-huh. a really interesting class. Mm-hmm. And th- there was funny parts too. Like I remember uh, he was talking, they were having an argument about trumpets and Jericho and whatever. One, the, the, the psychologist kind of got the biblical story wrong, just a little bit wrong, <laughs> and the guy was correcting him, uh-huh. and he, he said, that's blasphemous. They were just teasing each other. Uh-huh. It was always this mock fight that was going on. Uh-huh. And he said, that's blasphemous. You shouldn't say that. And when he, just when he said that, these old windows in this old German building collapsed. You know, they just came down oh. really hard into the windowsill. And he said, see what happens when you, <laughs> it was so loud that everybody was, see what happens when you're blasphemous. And, uh-huh. Yeah, it was, it was a great class. So that kind of, I think that helped me uh, understand a little bit more. It gave me a framework of understanding, mm-hmm. uh, but I still didn't really cultivate it. Yeah. I just kept having experiences and collecting experiences, but I was busy with the military and then with my academic career and working at Boeing. I worked at Boeing for five years as a contract administrator and, you know, on the military side of Boeing. So I was very busy, but always in the back of my mind, I thought, I want to do something more with this. Mm -hmm. So Well, now you teach these courses, Personal Paranormal History. I'm under the impression that just bringing a group of 30 people together in a Mm -hmm. room to talk about things that Mm -hmm. they've experienced and that they don't normally have a safe place to discuss, that alone kind of creates an atmosphere which is conducive to more things. Yes. I think it, it does have an amplified effect. And uh, I think people come away uh, with a better understanding, but also uh, with probably they're going to get more experiences, mm-hmm. uh, as my spirit friends always tell me. And I, I got to—I have to mention one of my spirit friends in, in particular, and probably what got this whole thing started. And then I'll come back to that. But my friend Gene uh, passed away three years ago. He was a Norwegian American guy about my age. Mm-hmm. Passed away from cancer. Uh, he was an actor. And uh, about a month after he died, he came to me in a vision, a very clear vision of him mm-hmm. speaking to me in my home. And I was, at that time, I was just relaxing. And and he said, now's the time to tell your stories. Now's the time. Uh-huh. And he, and I said, well, I was kind of arguing with him. I said, well, you know, I'm not sure how's, how my colleague's going to accept it. What, you know, will I be taken seriously as a historian? He said, don't worry about that. Now's the time to, and he even gave me the name of the book. He said it, it, you should call it timeless. Timeless. So that's mm-hmm. he gave me the you know the name, which is you're using the title for all of the yes. these books. Yes, for all mm-hmm. of them. That's that is the title. So uh, the uh, uh, the now I, now I forgot your question. I'm sorry. I had to, <laughs> I had to mention Gene though. But yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, yeah. I just asked you about whether bringing people together that yes. act in and of itself is psych conducive. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. And uh, uh, it, it, it helps to have, it, I, I think what it does is it, as Gene said, this is where Gene ties in, he told me that it, 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 um, 
experiencing is believing and believing is experiencing. So as you come together and confirm these other things are not just abnormalities that I'm a real person, I'm having real experiences because mm-hmm. these other people do too. It's very, you know, it's an affirmation. Then they get more experiences. So it opens up more, it leads from one to the other to the next. And, and when you get that many people together affirming each other and, and, you know, being responsive to each other yeah. and, and helpful, uh, it just opens them up, uh, up more to more experiences. Would, so, do you find that yes. some of your students get into trouble because they open up so much? Back to relationships, yes. Mm-hmm. Some of them, uh, they have spouses that are not like my ginger. They're they're not really supportive necessarily mm-hmm. of uh, of what they're doing. So that can get them into trouble. Yeah, and they have reported back and said, uh, well. This is really the only safe place I can talk. I can't talk about it at work because they don't want to talk about it, whoever's at work with them, and I can't talk to my wife about it. Mm-hmm. So, that, so in a way, it's, it's very sad that, they, that their spouse is not willing to at least support them, maybe not be a believer or an experiencer or whatever, but at least support them. But, uh, yeah, so that, that can interfere with relationships. I well, think I, can I, it can sometimes lead to divorce. It can, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think so. Has that happened with your students? I haven't heard about divorces, but I have heard of difficulties. Yeah. 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 And since you've been only offering the course now for a year. Yeah, this is this fall will be the you know, second, start the of the second, second year. Yeah. You're starting the second yeah. year, so mm-hmm. maybe a little too early to know. Yeah, i got to collect more data. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I gather that people, once they find that they have a safe space, that they can begin to describe the, these intimate experiences mm-hmm. that are uh, dangerous to talk about mm-hmm. in other circumstances that they then uh, begin to experience more of more things like that yeah uh, yeah one thing leads to another once they've it's uh, I, I think uh, oh who is that that uh, guy from Dallas Jim Mars he wrote a lot of books about uh-huh, uh, the conspiracy yeah, the conspiracy guys yeah he, he said there's a boggle point. I, I thought that's kind of interesting concept. Yeah. This idea that people will accept up to this point. Mm-hmm. And they'll, okay, I was expecting. The boggle threshold. Yeah, there's a threshold. And then yeah. once they get that, they, okay, I'm not going to, I believe, yeah, there might be ghosts, mm-hmm. but there's not this other stuff. Yeah. Until they have another experience and all of a sudden it moves a little bit further Everybody down. Everybody has a line in the sand. Yeah, but that sign, that mm-hmm. line can move mm-hmm. and it does move. I see. And for myself too, as much experiences, you know, many experiences of I've I, as I've had, I keep growing. Mm-hmm. So I, I I consider what happened with me and my friend Gene three years ago to be kind of a spiritual reawakening. Yeah. Uh, to get in touch with what I've been experiencing since I was a kid. So what I was supposed to be doing this whole time, mm-hmm. you know, in in addition to making a living, you know, I have to you know do the things yeah. I have to do. You still teach uh, I, yeah, history still teach of the history. Vietnam War. Yes, exactly. So very serious topics or very academic topics, traditional academic topics. All my other books and stuff have been about that. But uh, this has always been part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And I've I've always kind of introduced little elements of it into my classes. I'll tell a, maybe I'll tell a ghost story or two around Halloween, you know, just mm-hmm. something like that and the students appreciate that. But uh now this is having this class dedicated to this really satisfies what I needed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So and I I uh I do this little what I call a hobby radio show too. Once a month. Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal, but I bring in interesting people that I talk to and yeah. 
and uh, it, it's part of the learning experience. You know, it, it's, I'm teaching is learning. You know? Well, Dr. Bruce Solheim, mm-hmm. you're doing good work. Okay. <laughs> thank you. I approve. <laughs> okay, and, you. and I think so much more is needed. Yeah. There, there, there aren't too many colleges or universities that are offering this type of course. Uh, Dean Radin said maybe only five or six. There used to be hundreds. Yeah. I remember back in the yeah. 1970s, a yeah. book was published listing all the yeah. parapsychology courses being yeah. taught. There were hundreds. Yeah. And, and that was the era in which I yeah. enrolled and created yeah. a, a doctoral major, individual doctoral major yeah. in parapsychology. Yeah. Uh, the field in, in many ways is burgeoning. Mm-hmm. Psychology, yeah, the American Psychological Association just uh, about a year ago, less than a year ago, published uh, in their flagship journal a review of mm-hmm. all of the meta-analyses of studies mm-hmm. on telepathy and clairvoyance mm-hmm. and precognition. It's overwhelming, sure. yeah, the, the it statistical is. evidence yeah. at, at this point, but it's still very, very marginalized. Yeah. And I, you know, and I also know that, you know, when you talk about kind of the mystery around this stuff, you know, I think uh, people, I, I think they are willing to acknowledge it. And a lot of times in private, but not so much in public and yeah. not at the workplace. And once we overcome that, I think we can uh, be a little bit further down the road and, and maybe there'll be more money for research mm-hmm. and and it'll be more acceptable. And, and I, I, you know, it has been shown time and time again that this stuff does happen. It is real, you know. And, uh, you know, you don't just have to take some word from some, you know, a person claiming that they've had these experiences, that mm-hmm. this stuff is real. And, and what can we do with it? That's the other, you know. So, to me, it's never, it's not, is it real? But how can we make it better? How can we make it serve, you know, the purpose that we're here for, which is, the message I'm getting from everybody in the spirit world is that you, the reason we're doing, you're doing what you're doing is to help, help people, to help alleviate the suffering that we have in this world. Mm-hmm. And that's why you do your show ultimately. And that's why we teach. That's why we write books, you know, is to help, is yeah. to help in some way, in any way that we can, whatever talents or gifts that we have. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so yeah. much for being with me, Bruce. Thank you, Jeffrey. And thank you for being with us. Thank you.